0: A listener production.
1: Okay, let's start by just taking a deep breath. (sighs) Welcome to Come Out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the Coming Out experience. So congratulations, you're now a part of our community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out in my DMs yesterday. A woman asked me specifically if I was gay. Like, she, she knew I was married to a man, and she knew I had children, but she wasn't 100% sure. So I confirmed it for her. Today, we are welcoming a very new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Jacob. (laughs) Can you just introduce yourself? Tell us when you first came out and tell us when you last came out.
0: (sighs) My name is Jacob Stanley, I'm gay, and I first came out to the very first person, my dear friend, in 2000, I think it was. And I can't remember the last time that I did come out, but I can remember the last time that I opted to not out, um, which was at, when I was working at a, a Maya department store on the central coast of New South Wales for a few years, and it was just never addressed. Mm. Um, and I chose to let it just fly under the radar. I'm sure that they could have figured it out for themselves because I was the visual merchandise manager there, which is just about the gayest <laughs> role that you could have in a department store. Yeah. Um, but we just never spoke about it and I chose to never bring it up because that somehow felt easier.
1: Jacob Stanley is the co-host of one of Australia's most well-loved podcasts, Just the Gist. And I'm not even exaggerating, they were just crowned the best entertainment podcast at the 2020 Australian Podcast Award. So you just know he's good at this. And he actually has a long history of being pretty damn good at things. He was the head of education at Mecca most recently. Before we dive in, I just want to flag that Jacob and I are going to use some derogatory terms that people have used and still use against people who are LGBTQI+. We would not normally use these words in our day-to-day lives, but through the lens and importance of this conversation, they will be used today. So I just wanted you to be aware. Okay, let's dive right in. Here's Jacob. Where did you grow up? What places physically would have led you to 2000?
0: I grew up on the central coast of New South Wales, mm-hmm. which is a beachside area. Have you ever been up I there? Have, yep. Yeah. It's really beautiful now. Um, it's become quite gentrified because of, well, it's always been physically beautiful, culturally, maybe not always yeah, so okay. beautiful. They used to call it Mount Druid by the Sea because it was a very rough sort of area. Mm. Um, it was a very sort of surfy, football type culture for boys growing up. There was an expectation that you'd be obsessed with one or both of those things and it wasn't a place where there were queer spaces it wasn't a place where there were a lot of members of the queer community either it was very sort of very suburban Yeah, yeah yeah um and very monocultural as well it's become a lot more multicultural since i turned i'd say 20 but growing up it was a very sort of white area and very much family-focused sort of area.
1: So long before you even recognized that, hey, I might be different, Mm -hmm. I imagine based off of the picture you've just painted, that being anything other than straight was probably not celebrated.
0: Is that Mm -hmm. fair? (laughs) No, and quite openly disparaged. Okay. Um, I can remember a lot of conversations that I overheard of my family and some of their friends when they would be talking about gay people and usually in a very derogatory way. And that started from a very young age. And that was just sort of a a cultural norm up there. And all throughout school, I have to say, until about year 10, the culture in the places where I went to school was that gay people, lesbians, were the butt of a joke. Yep. And the worst insult that you could say to anyone was to call them a fag or a dyke. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so at some point in that journey, I'm imagining maybe around 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. In that time period, you start to realize I might be different. Tell me about that time in your life where when is it clear to you?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh oh. Uh, Probably around 14, 15 was when I realized, okay, I really actually might be gay. Mm. Up until that point, I'd known that there was clearly something different about me because people told me that there was something different about me my entire life.
1: Oh, um, specifically to your sexuality or just yes, in general? Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, from being discouraged to play with Barbies when I was four or five years old. Um, and then, you know, people making fun of the way that I talked or the way that I walked. Mm. Um, really, that just made me determine that I would never be gay because I didn't want to prove them right. Sure. And so then, up until around the time that I was 14 or 15, I basically had a mantra in my head that I would say to myself every night, no matter what, I will not be gay. I will mm. never admit that I'm gay. People hide it through, for their entire lives. I will be one of those people. That was something I was quite determined to do um, until it reached a point when I was like 15, 16 that I sort of went, okay, there's really no denying this. And that's when I started telling people and made it a very big secret, deep, dark secret that I would swear, make people swear that they would not pass on or share to anybody. And I sort of went friend by friend, um, letting people know until it sort of reached tipping point. And then it was just common knowledge for everyone at my high school. And the funny thing was, around that time, people let go of their homophobia. They stopped calling They waited
1: people.
0: for you <laughs> to come out and they were like, here we go, we're all changing. There just seemed to be some sort of cultural shift that happened at that time, which I was very lucky to benefit from, mm. that it just wasn't considered to be such a bad thing and then shortly after i came out a few other people came out as well and yeah the mindset just seemed to evolve really oddly quickly i was very very lucky as well that the particular high school i went to was probably a lot more accepting than other high schools in that area um it was a selective high school and um not that i necessarily think that that means anything, that we were labeled as being smarter. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that we came from a very broad area and we were sort of cherry-picked to come to this school, it meant that there was a bit more diversity there. Yeah. Um, because any time that after I'd come out that I was finding I was getting harassed on the street, it was people who went to different schools.
1: Mm. Well, we came out at the same time in history. And I remember specifically around 2000, give or take a couple years, Will and Grace is really popular mm. globally. Real World or Road Rules, those shows were popular. They had gay people on them. Mm-hmm. The AIDS epidemic, the, the narrative was shifting mm-hmm. around you will die to you can thrive. Yep. And all of that is happening at the end of you know, 1998, 1999. So mm. if you're starting to own who you really are in the early 2000s, Almost everyone, young and old, is changing their idea of what it would mean for your life. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because a couple of years earlier, your first thought would have been, oh, no, Mm. you're going to die. That's terrible. Whereas through the lens of that, you're like, well, you could be on TV. (laughs) You could even be in a relationship, maybe.
0: Yeah, live a happy life. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: who's the first person you tell? Do you remember?
0: Yes. Her name's Soraya. Um, She was one of my best friends, still is one of my very best friends. Um, But particularly in high school, we were super, super close. Mm. So she was the first person that I told. She wasn't shocked. No one was shocked. Some people tried to pretend that they were shocked, but it was pretty obvious it had always been quite obvious. So I think for a lot of people, it was something that they accepted quite readily and then was possibly even just as much of a relief for them as it was for me that we didn't have to continue to lie or pretend anymore anymore. Yeah, and of course she was incredibly supportive, as were all of my friends.
1: I'm putting pieces together. We're gonna do a little therapy for a session, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm just projecting my my experience onto you. But your mantra every day is "I will not be this thing." Yeah. So you're putting effort mm-hmm. every day. I'm imagine. Did mm-hmm. you drop your voice? Did you avoid specific activities? Like you're you're trying to be this character, and then you come out. Mm-hmm. You finally have the courage, and people go, "Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I knew all along." Mm-hmm. How did that feel?
0: i kind of already knew that they already knew Oh, okay so it was one of those things that was sort of going unspoken and undiscussed it didn't surprise me that they weren't surprised and that was probably a result of the fact that from when i was so young as four or five hearing people talking about me as being different and Mm. what if he is gay And I can remember my mum saying to me a few times, if you are gay, that's totally fine. Oh, wow, that's great. But even still, it was like, well, I would never. I would just never. No, I won't make that choice for myself. And Mm. if it's something out of my control, I'll find a way to just bottle it up. But, yeah, the fact that it was even being brought up to me as a possibility from that age didn't make me think, oh, I'll feel super comfortable coming out as soon as I realise. Sure. Instead, it just made me something to be... more fearful of, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. Of course it does. Mm. There are like so many different compounding forces. There's like culture, there's religion, there's, but then there's the most powerful force, which is yourself. Mm. Like your own internal I will not. Mm. Like, you don't have to believe in God to know that your own conversation with yourself is a God-like thing where you're just mm. talking to yourself every single day and you can beat yourself up in this anxious rabbit hole. But if you can convince yourself, I'm not going to do this, it becomes the strongest force of mm. opposition for you to be your true self. Yep. I think a lot of people focus on external forces and it's justified in many ways, but sometimes the hurdle... Mm is the battle inside, right? It's like, shit, I don't want to be this thing. No. I know it's not good. They're not living a happy, healthy life. Mm -hmm. It's not like anyone's talking positive things. Those wonderful gay people are just thriving all around me. No Mm -hmm. way.
0: Yeah. So it's.
1: I actually think it's crystal clear the way you articulated it. Mm -hmm. So you tell a couple of your friends, it goes well, Yep. would you say? Yep. Did that inspire you to feel the confidence to tell your family?
0: Oh, Oh. not for years. Okay. And... Um, I didn't tell my family until I was 23 when I actually had my first proper boyfriend. Okay. So I'd been dating up until that point, but until I actually had been dating someone for more than a few weeks, I convinced myself that I didn't have to tell my family until it was official, until there was something of substance to tell them about Which I think if I was really honest with myself, that was partly just a cop out because it wasn't a conversation that I wanted to have. Sure. And I wonder if part of me also felt like I wasn't legitimately sure that I was gay until I had a relationship. And I think part of me also did want my family to understand that I was already starting to form a bond with someone Mm. as opposed to me living out the stereotypical expectation that they had of a gay lifestyle involving drugs and casual sex and, you know. So I think there were probably multiple factors, but if I was really honest with myself, I think I had just given myself that luxury of, I don't have to tell them sure. until there's actually a, a reason to tell them and someone to introduce them to.
1: But I wonder how much of it is based off the reality that when most people come out at a younger age, the first response is, well, how do you know? Mm. Or have you tried sleeping with a woman? Mm. Or, I mean, it's just a phase. I'm having a lot of conversations with people and usually when they come out, if they come out long before they even have the quote, air quotes of proof, Mm. that is what people can use because they're struggling and they have fear. And so that's what they project onto you. Mm. Um, But I'm sure as you're kind of reliving that experience, you're like, well, wait a second. I I knew before that moment. Mm. How did they respond?
0: Once again, no one was surprised at all. Mm. And everyone was totally, totally supportive Nothing changed about any of my relationships, although I suppose for me there was sort of a ah, sigh of relief, which they may have had as well, because once again it's that don't ask, don't tell sort of yeah, yeah, thing yeah. that can feel quite draining. Yeah, so totally wonderful. Everyone was very supportive of my partner as well, and they were all very happy to meet him. And honestly, I regret that I hadn't been more open with them sooner. Oh. I can't go back and change that, sure. obviously, but... um. You know later on, if we get to talking about offering advice to people, I really do wish that I had just been more open with people who love me unconditionally were always going to love me unconditionally for some reason. I chose to leave them till last to be whole with them.
1: Do you remember you just talked about that sigh of relief and i'm I'm trying to just remember I know it's been a while, but you're I imagine you're living with the secret mm. That is a massive part of who you are. Mm. You tell the people, the most important people Mm. your family, they're cool. Is a part of you going, what what was I afraid of?
0: Looking back on it now, yes. Mm. I do think there was no way that I was going to be rejected or reviled. I think there was a little part of me that felt that there might be some members of my family who would feel that way. And it did feel like once you tell one person in the family, they're all going to know the cat's out of the bag. So it's not like I felt that I could sort of pick and choose who knew and who didn't. So being kind of an all-in thing, I should have known that it would have been 100% support from 100% of my family, but I didn't take that for granted at the time. Mm. And I wasn't necessarily willing to risk it.
1: So once you come out... Mm -hmm did you change? Did you get to act a different way, walk a different way, talk a different way, love a different way?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean... My taste in music and TV and film has always been very gay yeah, and I've yeah. never hidden that yeah. at all. I've had a deep love for Cher and The Supremes since I was As in early high school. Yeah. Yeah. And my family was very well aware of that and that was probably just another data point for them to go, okay, well, yeah, we're pretty <laughs> certain of his orientation, um, but we'll let him be the one to tell us about it. In high school, yes, I would say that there was less um, sort of Trying to alter my gestures, alter my voice to try to come across as being straight because it wasn't, I was no longer denying something that was obvious to everybody. And I think the fact that I then also found myself in a culture where people were no longer using poof and faggot as a slur towards me meant that I, yeah, didn't feel like I needed to avoid doing anything that would give me away Mm. did you struggle
1: with bullying was that a part of your life growing up
0: only in early high school and then from like 99 2000 everyone sort of matured and like you said there was obviously this sort of cultural shift that may have happened on a global scale Mm. that that just dissolved in a very short period of time
1: it's amazing how powerful yeah. it is to have like when you're when the people around you become more accepting, like what can happen mm. in a world like that? If you surround your children with different types of people, if you surround your children in an accepting environments, if the world happens to be more accepting, mm. your children have the ability to just access their truth and talk about it in a different way. Mm -hmm. It's hard for some parents. I get asked this question a lot. I don't know if you ever do. Like, what can I do for my young gay child? Mm -hmm. I don't even know if they are, but how can I ensure that they feel comfortable? I always just go down to like, what's the environment that you live in Mm -hmm. and the people around you and the culture and the society and your friendship group? Uh, what school do they go to? What are the mm. values of that school? Like all of that really matters. You're talking about the world changes and therefore people around you change, and that inspires you to feel confident. Mm. But imagine if that school, if you've just been bullied every single year, what's mm. the likelihood you're going to come out? Probably small.
0: Mm. Very. The impact of conversations that I overheard my parents and extended family having with each other and with their friends about gay people, that is something that has stuck with me for such a long time yeah because the things that people say when they don't realize that you're listening can often be the things that like really give you insight into their mindset sure and i can remember in 1994 when my family and i went to see the bird cage with some of their friends mm. and then two men afterwards talking about how disgusted they were to see robin williams kiss nathan lane yeah and talking about how they would never offer never accept any offer of money to do something like that honestly that just was such a loud and clear message for me that okay i can never be that thing yeah and so i think for parents who ask you questions like that to you know have them just be super aware of the conversations that they're having in the vicinity of their children or that other people are having in the vicinity of their children, because that sort of thing can just become etched in stone in someone's memory and have a really, really deep impact.
1: You often hear people who have come through the other side, like parents who have gay children and therefore have to go through this whole new reckoning of education and then they become allies. It wasn't, a problem I needed to address until it was my problem. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes you just hear people who are like accidentally homophobic. They don't even hate gay people. They're just like, they say that exact sentence, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to kiss a guy. Mm. And then their child comes out. And then all of a sudden they look back at who they were and they go, that's not how I felt. That was wildly inappropriate. I never should have said that. You have a choice now today Mm. while listening to this conversation to eliminate anything that could be potentially harmful to anyone in your life. Like you Mm. actually have the potential to do that. Mm. If you think that your nephew or the random kid on the side of the road or the girl on the bus might be anything other than a heterosexual human being, you have the power Mm. to not say that shit. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know that most people think about that on a regular basis. Why would you have to? In that instance, why would they have to? Mm. You're just a kid. Mm. (laughs) Ignore it. But, But clearly it's, those random sentences that are the most traumatic that yeah. stick with you the longest. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to interact with that person after you came out?
0: Yes. And um, ironically, he ended up having a gay son. No freaking way. Yeah. And they've been incredibly supportive ever since then.
1: Wow. But I just set up that story perfectly, not knowing. You really did. <laughs> wow.
0: Um, and there's a similar story with another member of my family, someone that, you know, really had this mindset of, Boys should be boys. Boys shouldn't play with dolls. Boys should be playing football and really did not want to have a gay child but ended up with a gay son as well. Yeah, And he also has evolved massively Mm. um, from going through that process. But there are a lot of things that I remember and I'm sure that there are a lot of things that he, the son, remembers as well that we would point to if we were being very candid as things that held us back from coming out at a younger age.
1: And it's not even, like oftentimes we talk about these moments of, uh, of reckoning as a parent. I'm a parent, and so it's a part of our larger parenting conversation. Uh, once the child comes out, that's when you need to start to do the work. What's crazy to me is if your children are straight, and you take all of the lessons we're, we're talking about, just like being a little broader and you're, instead of saying, um, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have mm. a girlfriend? Do you have a girlfriend at school? If you're just a little broader about it, do you have a partner? Do you have a mm. boyfriend or a girlfriend? And if you purposely remove anything that be, could be harmful to a child, if they were, mm. if they turn out straight, like what was the harm? Mm. What was the harm in raising them around that environment? I just don't know that there is. Mm. And the likelihood is, that their friend might be gay or their roommate or their university professor. Like, it's just so likely that there's bound to be someone that at this point in, in the world, even back in 2000, it's like, we do know, we do know better and we definitely know better now.
0: Oh yeah, mm. absolutely.
1: Mm it was a little bit harder to find people. Mm. Right now, uh, young people growing up now can just jump on apps and like within an instant, not only do they know the local gays, they mm. know the regional gays. Yeah. Like you can find anyone. <laughs> Back then it wasn't that simple. So mm. if you weren't, were you like walking up to people and saying, hey, I'm, I'm gay, are you? Or how did you find people <laughs> that you could experiment with?
0: Um, a lot of people can probably relate to the fact that um, a lot of your straight friends feel like they're on a mission to hook you up with another gay person oh, that they've yeah. met. Um, so there were a few of those sort of introductions where we'd be brought together at the same party or social function and meet there and yeah, that would yeah. lead to a few dates. But mostly it was uh, finding people at um, Stonewall or Palms or some of the other clubs where I'd be on the dance floor and um, yeah, that would usually be... I mean, you can pretty safely assume that anyone who's in those spaces certainly back then was gay. Because
1: if you think back to everyone else's high school experience, not yours and definitely not mine, but Mm. they just had like a buffet of options. Just everyone at the school, right? Is uh, Basically, if they're the opposite gender than you, you Mm. could date them. Mm. And then for us, we're just sitting there going like, who? Who could potentially be? And there's no flag Mm -hmm. other than, I guess, you coming out publicly, which didn't necessarily
0: happen. Well, I can remember... Also, when a couple of people came out fairly shortly after I did in high school, then the question was sort of like, well, are you going to date him? Yep. Why not date him? Like, well, don't even, we haven't had a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> in oh, the I last don't think few straight years. people can
1: understand, like, mm. when the pool is so small, you'd re- You ma- you make a lot of sacrifices mm. to your standard, to your type. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You're just like, well, is that what we're supposed to do? There's only two of us. (laughs) And you also have natural human urges. Mm. I I don't know that, and I've never even said it, like none of my family would ever know that that would have been something hard for me Mm. because it's just just you at the school by yourself. Mm. I also think it's powerful that you come out and then a bunch of other people go, he's fine. Mm. Maybe I could do this Mm. too. And I think that's powerful. Like the, for anyone listening, sometimes like you can be the catalyst for other people mm-hmm. to go, I could do this too.
0: Yeah. Because I'm a Leo and I'm an only child, there was a small part of me that was like, don't try to steal my thunder.
1: Give me this at is least my six thing. months. I'm
0: special. <laughs> I'm the unique one here. Yes. Um, but yeah, I got
1: over that. So you come out, um, you get some really good uh, responses from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then you leave, and you go to university. Mm -hmm. Did you find through that period into the kind of quote real world into working that you found your people? Hmm. Did you search for a community within, uh, like a queer community?
0: I did not. No. And the mindset that I had at the time was that being queer didn't define me. That was was not the only thing about me. Mm. Um, so, no, I didn't join any of the queer societies at uni. I did three different uni degrees. I didn't finish them all. I wow. <laughs> dropped I was like, out that's of the first impressive. two. Damn. Um, but uh, yeah, while I was at university, I didn't um, visit any of the queer exclusive spaces. Um, and, you know, I probably missed out on making a lot of great friends for that reason. But I chose to be, I suppose, in a way kind of defiant in saying this is not the one thing that defines me. So, yes, I might have that one thing in common with those people. Yeah. Um, I probably would have had a lot in common with them, but I didn't give myself the opportunity to. Um, I did make some really wonderful fr- friends through um, the uni courses that I did. But the majority of my friends I've had since high school, some even since primary school, the people that I'm still super, super close with to this day but the only real sort of queer spaces that i found myself going to were the gay clubs yep and i can remember the first time going to the stonewall and just loving the music loving the atmosphere and feeling like oh my god i just want to come here all the time
1: they play share after the supremes in a row three times while i'm here this is heaven it's a dream come true (laughs)
0: yes um And I did feel just so completely comfortable there and at the Palms and a few other Sydney gay clubs as well.
1: Well, the reason I ask is I'm just imagining, again, you have to help me paint the picture because I'm Mm. not from here, but to move from one part of the country as a younger kid to come out in that environment and then to choose proactively to leave that environment Mm. for school or for a job, I imagine that must've just been such a huge cultural shift back then were there people walking around the streets presenting, holding hands? Were there gay people around you enough to go, "Wow, big change"? Uh,
0: on the central coast, we did not no. see that at and then all. Here. And then coming to Sydney and seeing that people were so much more open, yeah, that was, huh, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if I'll ever be brave enough to do that. Mm. Mm.
1: I was going to say, and did you ever get brave yeah. enough to yeah, do yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: absolutely, <laughs> and. I think that's fantastic that there was, I think there was in Australia a cultural shift that really happened around that time. But yes, um, being in a more suburban regional area, than coming into a metropolis like Sydney, yeah, it was a culture shift for me. But it was kind of a cultural thing for everyone at my high school, I should say. Like Mm. everyone, when we finished high school, either went to uni in Newcastle or Sydney. The vast majority moved to Sydney. A lot of them stayed here for a long time until they started popping out their own kids and they've moved back to the central coast but yeah it was kind of the done thing for us that you would get out and move to this city so we kind of had this mass exodus together Mm. yeah
1: that makes sense i mean i came from a small town everyone rushed as soon as they Mm -hmm. could to the local city for them to go to school Mm. but there is a i hear a lot from people like what advice do you have for young gay people and it's not like you get a choice when you're 13 to go to the big city. Mm. So oftentimes you find most people's coming out stories happen to align with them going to university Mm -hmm. just because they're in a more accepting, interesting, diverse, multicultural, queer environment. Mm. But for you to move to here of all cities, I mean, globally, Sydney is recognized now as a pretty damn gay place Mm -hmm. or an accepting place. Um, well, Well, I'm interested in that time you worked at Mecca. Yeah. For a really long
0: time. 12 years.
1: Arguably one of the more queer industries mm-hmm. that exists mm-hmm. uh, more broadly. You moved to Sydney. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. Everyone in your life knew. Um, you're transitioning into work. At that time, did people talk about sexuality at work? Was that something that you felt comfortable talking about?
0: Um, hmm. So, because I was in a management position for such a long time, time most of my interactions were with people that weren't to do with my personal life our conversations were not to do without yeah, love life.
1: professional
0: um, and they'd sort of just get the facts and I was definitely in an environment where it was just sort of accepted that if you're a man working in this industry you're probably gay Yeah. so it would have been weird for me to have come out as straight in mm. that environment but
1: did anyone ask?
0: no never No, it was just assumed by everybody, yeah.
1: Because in late 2000s, I guess even until today, we are seeing a shift for Mm -hmm. sure. There was this argument that you did not bring yourself to work. And that's not just for gay people. Mm -hmm. That's like men talking about their children, wives talking about being pregnant. It was very much a kind of like, you go to work, you get your job done. Mm -hmm. You don't bring your issues, in air quotes, to work, but specifically amongst Mm -hmm. the gay community. I mean, you have... 70s, 80s, 90s like you kept that quiet. Mm. So be, being able to be your true self, I'm interested in like did that matter to you? Did you do you even look back at that time and think that it was um an issue that you couldn't be your f- full self there?
0: Again, I think that I had this real luxury of um being in an industry where it was kind of assumed that you were gay. Yeah, yeah. And most of the people that I was dealing with were either within the company or they were other companies around the world. And I got the chance to travel all over the mm. planet with this fantastic role and mostly dealing with people who were still part of the cosmetics industry. So, you know, their assumptions as well were that I probably would sure. be. And in most cases, they were too. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think if, anything the one thing that did make me uncomfortable from time to time was when people would make comments just sort of assuming the sort of lifestyle that i lived assuming that i must be on grinder because i'm single and assuming that i must be going out to cruise um, every weekend and that's not me that hasn't been me for a very long time Mm. that was the one thing that sometimes I would feel a little bit uncomfortable if people just made certain assumptions sure. and they felt like they were comfortable enough to talk about those assumptions with me. Yeah. Mm.
1: You're basically landing in a place that I'm interested, that's what I was really interested in talking about, which mm-hmm. is you, um, I'm married. Mm-hmm. I have two children. That is not the standard gay story, mm-hmm. nor is it the narrative around people's perception of what it means to be gay. Mm-hmm even just being in a relationship and having that relationship be be like owning a home together. Mm. Up until the last couple of years, there was a picture painted in Australia of what it meant to be gay. And Mm. and with all due respect, it's a wonderful thing, but it was basically shaped around pride, I would imagine, Mardi Gras, which is just like flamboyant outfits and partying like rock stars. Mm -hmm. And then of course the carryover of the AIDS epidemic. So it's just this melting pot of party kids. Mm -hmm. And a lot of gay people struggle with being lumped into that group, mm. right? We specifically hear people in our community saying, I am not a club kid, mm-hmm. that is not what I represent. And so I often wonder if you're not talking and telling people your truth, if you're not coming out and sharing it, how is the larger population supposed to understand that there's nuance within our mm. within our group? Mm. Yeah, that's like where my head goes when I'm thinking long-term around how people can start to think more inclusively and empathetically about the gay experience. Mm. That I haven't been to a club Mm. in a very long... If it doesn't have a playground, like I don't go there. (laughs) So I want people to know that experience (laughs) as much as yours, which is you're not partying and taking pills every night and dancing.
0: Yeah, and I think even just characters like um, the guys on Modern Family, you know, that sort of representation becoming more and more mainstream has mm. been very beneficial because it's helped to just sort of quiet down some of the cliche thinking yeah. that people have had. Um, I've sort of noticed that in the last 15 years mm. or so, but it still does come up sure. these assumptions that oh, this must be the way that you live your life. No, <laughs> they want it to be. I think it's I think like, so. there's a little, je-
1: it's not jealousy, but it's also just like gay people have so much fun. Mm. <laughs> and because people didn't couldn't get married, couldn't settle down, didn't have, I mean, they might've been long-term relationships, but it just seemed, I'm sure for many people, like we were the ones just partying constantly. And that seemed great. Mm. Us straight people weren't doing that, like (laughs) you guys could. And so Mm. it's like now that the picture is being painted of the reality, people are starting to come to terms with the fact that we're just as boring as they are. We
0: really can be, yes.
1: (laughs) When you look back on that time, And you think of young people Mm. that might be struggling too. I'm I'm hopeful it's it's an easier time to Mm. be who you are. But what would you say to young people who are questioning and thinking of coming out? What kind of advice would you give to them knowing what you know now?
0: (sighs) Most of the best things that you do in life are going to scare you. And if coming out scares you, know that that is because it is one of the best things that you will ever do Mm. in your life. Um, the sense of freedom that it gives you to no longer be trying to deceive people or trick people or dance around a topic that you don't want to acknowledge is enormous. And once you experience it, you won't regret it. I know that for a lot of people, they're in a position where it would potentially even be life threatening for them Mm -hmm. to come out. That's a very different story. But if you do have Friends and family members, chances are that they will love and support you no matter what, even despite things that you might have heard them say. And I can tell you that from lived experience, um, not just for me, but from other friends that I have, um, that things that you might have gathered over the years, memories that have made you think that your parents, your grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, whatever might not accept you might be holding you back right now but don't let them hold you back because chances are that they will shift their mindset um it's a shame they didn't shift their mindset earlier but um it's it's not too late for them and just from my own experience and from the experience that i've witnessed of my friends even people who do struggle at the beginning come around to it because they love you for a reason. And that reason doesn't disappear just because you acknowledge your orientation.
1: Mm. Mm. And then I guess the them, the other, Mm -hmm. the uh, person hearing the story, Mm -hmm. uh, the parent, the Mm -hmm. friend, what would you say to them? What would be helpful for people to know? Someone has just come out to me for the very first time. Like, Mm -hmm. what should I, how should I react? What what can I do to prepare for that moment?
0: I think, Just asking fairly directly, how much are you comfortable talking about with me? Mm. Um, What topics do you want to discuss with me and how much detail do you want to go into? Because just coming out can be quite confronting. And to then be faced with a barrage of questions um, that you might not actually be prepared to answer is a lot. Mm. So I think being that ally, being the person who's hearing someone coming out, taking the time to... Ask how much are you comfortable talking about with me now, um, and you know what do you want me to bring up or not bring up in the future would probably be helpful just to sort of create a few guardrails for That's the great. conversations that you're going to be having.
1: I've never heard that. I've never heard that. That's powerful because oftentimes two things happen: one, a lot of stuff comes at you, and it all of a sudden you're like the Lord Mayor of Gay. Mm -hmm. And you're expected to have all of these answers that you probably don't have because you're 14 or 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. But then also on top of that, after you've come out, then you have to worry about conversations every day for months. Mm -hmm. What are they gonna ask me today? What are they gonna ask me tomorrow? Mm -hmm. How much do they wanna hear? Are they comfortable? So that's Mm -hmm. a really sound piece of like quite practical advice. It also allows you to remove any of your fears or concerns, Mm -hmm. which are none of the person's business, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's powerful. You said something about deceit. Mm. Does that come from personal experience? Does that come from being younger and needing to lie or date girls or any, like, is that coming up? I know you just kind of threw the sentence away, but do you mean from you? Is that something you experienced?
0: Yeah. Yep. Let's yep. talk about that. Definitely a little bit. just flat out denying being gay, um, mostly to people at school, pretending that I watched Buffy because I had a crush on Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm yes dating girls as well in the first few years of high school i had a few girlfriends um and that was all part of the mindset that i had of i will not be gay sure if this is who i am deep down i will never let the rest of the world see it and so yeah then trying to put on an act that wasn't fooling anybody Mm. um Yeah, when you no longer feel the need to even try to deceive people, that's a massive relief.
1: Sure. Mm. Well, I wonder if your experience is similar to mine, but after you came out and years go by, do you ever look back at the deceit element, the dating girls, and basically Mm. just faking it, right? Pretend, whether it be sexual or emotional, just straight up lying to survive. Mm -hmm. It feels really justified in the moment. It's Mm -hmm. life or death for many people. Mm. But I wonder if you, how, when you look back on that, how you feel about those girls, you feel about that moment.
0: Oh, most of them, still some of my best friends. Oh, wow. In the Amazing. world. And I did have very genuine feelings for them, but I think when you're going through that confusing puberty sort of phase, you can maybe mistake friendship um, for romantic um, sure. adoration. Um, yeah. And, I don't think any of them were surprised to find out that I had been all along. Yeah. I wouldn't say that any of them were really serious enough relationships for anyone to have felt any sort of um, rawness.
1: Well, when you say deceit, it brings up something that I don't know that I've ever heard talked about in the community, really. Mm. Whether it you're right, like when you're young, I think back to those girlfriends. I'm like, it's not like, we went to the movies twice. I I didn't ruin their lives. But I know other gay people who come out in their 20s, in their 40s when they have children, right? Mm. Where that deceit element is a really big part of the trauma we have to work through. Mm. We're all really good actors, some better than others, Mm. um, but we all get really good at it. And that can be troubling for us as we age, which is trying to figure out what part of your personality was real and Mm. what part of it was a performance. Mm. I've struggled a little bit with my two relationships that I was sexual in, Mm -hmm. I've struggled with that, which is like not only did I lie, mm-hmm. I taught them a completely unrealistic idea of what love could have been. And mm. I, I, I've talked to them, and I know, like I'm sure, like your friends, they they don't think about it like that. They mm. think, oh, I, you, were, I was a safe space for you yeah. to discover yourself. <laughs> but I know that that's not true for everyone in the community, mm. and I often. I'm just interested in how other gay people deal with that. So it's great mm. that your experiences that you're not thinking about it constantly. But if you are someone who's who's struggling with that, I think it's really a valuable conversation for us as a community to have.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, Brokeback Mountain is the most heartbreaking movie, Ooh. really, for so many reasons. And my heart just broke so much for Michelle Williams character.
1: That's exactly what I mean. Why right? we aren't necessarily talking about that person mm. because they're like the original ally.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: many of those, the Michelle Williams, become our best friends 20 years later. Mm. And then they're forced to just deal. Mm. You know, my exes just had to cope with he just came out, which means two years of my life was a complete lie. Mm. We had sex. Was it fake? Mm who can I love in the, like I am mad, I'm making all of this up because Mm -hmm. I've never talked about it with anybody, but Mm -hmm. it's like, you're just all of a sudden coming to terms with like, what's true? What's a lie? What does deceit mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like a part of your coming out story needs to, it should be selfish Mm -hmm. because it's your truth. Once you're strong enough and powerful enough and have made it through the end, I think it can be valuable to look over your shoulder and go, how did I handle all that? Mm. How did people handle all of it? And if they didn't handle it well, I think you're blessed. Your story seems quite like good people around you,
0: Mm. great parents. So lucky, yeah.
1: Um, But if that's not your case, you are allowed to look back and go, wait a second. Uncle Bill responded in a really terrible way. Mm. And now that I'm older, I can tie up loose ends. I do have the ability to do that. Mm. Because you and I have one thing in common, which is you don't think about coming out after you do it. Mm. Just move on with your yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to say, as final thoughts, it is really important. It is a massive part of what it means to be human. Mm. We had to be reborn again. Mm.
0: And so, it's just not the way that it should be either. Mm. And it, I mean, it's such a cultural construct that there's any shame and stigma surrounding queerness. Of any sort. And Mm. not every culture was like this. Yeah. This is the culture that we are in. It is evolving. And hopefully it won't always be like this. But yes, for anyone who is reaching the point where they're getting ready to come out, you're so right. It is a big, big part of what you go through. It's hopefully going to be a very positive experience. It was a positive experience for the most part Mm. for me. Um, And it is worth it. It's worth the um, fighting against the resistance that you might be feeling internally.
1: I think it's great. A lot of the stories around coming out that are publicized are not good ones. Mm. Um, those the people who come forward are usually the ones who got kicked out, mm. or their family was really religious. So it's it's. I hope it's nice for young people to to hear. Um, and for parents to hear that it, it can be as simple for for some people to just love and accept the, those around you, mm. to learn on your own terms, to figure out how you can support them. Mm. I think what you said is freaking brilliant, which is just ask, what can I do? What should I do? What mm. questions? How comfortable are you? Like create a safe space to mm. have the conversation. And this idea of like, it gets better. In your case, it, it seemed like it was mm. it was really, it got better all along, yeah. which is, is beautiful.
0: Yep. Yeah. Mm and I'm very lucky and I wish the same for everybody who's listening to this.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for coming and chatting with thank us. Thank you. If Pleasure. people want to hear more from you, if they want to stalk your ass, if they want to listen <laughs> listen to a, a show that you may yes. or may not host, where can people find you? Uh,
0: so, Just the Gist podcast I do with one of my very best friends, Rosie Waterland. It's a weekly-ish podcast where we share wild, true stories um, of all sorts of genres and um, on... Instagram. I'm at Jacob William Stanley and I would love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps, and I did everything by myself, all the editing. It's just me alone. There's literally no one. (laughs) just kidding our producer is Lindsay Green the executive producer is Jennifer Goggin and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson
0: listener